Welcome to the Harvest House Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information, you can find us at harvesthouse.live. Truth. I've got to get better about that. I've got to get better about making sure that we're majoring on the 
measures and making sure that we operate in repetition enough that we can actually get it, not that you just walk out of here going, man, that was a really good word. I've never thought about it like that. And we click our heels and scratch our heads and go home. And we do nothing with it. It's not how well we regurgitate, it's how well we demonstrate. I'm not looking for a company of people who can rehearse what I've said from the pulpit. I'm looking for a family of people who can demonstrate a lifestyle that comes from a true re-identification. And that only comes out of encounter. Otherwise, we're just educated. of what we do in church, we think is a one-and-done scenario. We think grace was the thing that came that got you saved. Right? Just need one good dollar. One dollar will do you. And so you get grace, the amazing grace, how sweet the sound, and you get that, it comes upon you, you're, you're, you know, I once was lost, now I'm found. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound, because you just like me. You can put that tune to about anything. We actually sang it one time during uh, during a, an offertory. So part of the I was part of the youth band, and uh, and so we would we would see what songs we could sing Amazing Grace to during the offertory. And so we've done it to Freebird. Um, we've done it to House of the Rising Sun. Time we were going to try Welcome to the Jungle, and we just thought that might be a bridge too far. So, when you see this idea of what it means to be real, I've actually been in conversation with him. I don't even know that I have an answer, but in conversation with him to really try to understand do we ever really stop the process of re identification? Is, or is it a perpetual process whereby he just wants to keep doing things? And we're taught to operate in a very horizontal fashion. This atmosphere will empower people to have expressions of devotion that is equal to their story. This is something that is it, he's been dealing with me a lot. An atmosphere that will allow a, a true re-identification type encounter will be an atmosphere that will empower to have expressions of devotion that is equal to their story. If we believe that those who have been forgiven much love much, then shouldn't our gatherings empower expressions that are rooted in abandon? If we plan to expect people to come to him that have a wild story, then why have we been taught to only permit a tame thank you? This is the environment that I have
expressions of his love as a subsequent reaction to what he's done to get them out of what they can't do. And if it doesn't promote you into a like exchange, you're probably not in honor. There's nothing more frustrating to me than a group of people who, who do not allow um, what I would call um, the, the zeal of youth. And I, I don't mean youth and age. I mean somebody who has really been touched and feels that fire to not spark them. Shame on us if we don't allow, the, uh, if we don't honor the boy who brings the, the fishes and loaves whenever we're in need of food. Shame on us if we don't walk in such a high degree of honor and celebration of what God has done that that kind of thing doesn't promote us to a higher degree where we can be drawn in deeper. That's what it's supposed to do. But unfortunately, what we've done is when somebody comes in like that, our immediate response is to try to slow them down, not allow it to draw us forward. They're too wild. They're too weird. They're too crazy. It's drawing attention. It's this, it's this, it's this. And we immediately go into judgment, and we immediately go into offense. And the reality is, half the time, their weird expression is supposed to cause you to go into offense because he's trying to, to, in some way, illuminate a fracture in you that you need to deal with in the first place. Their immaturity is their problem. Your offense is yours. That's just the reality. And what he's really dealing with in me is how willing am I to allow things that cause us to come into a point of offense because of somebody else's immaturity to exist, the mess to exist, because it betters the whole house if we allow it to exist in a safe environment. The immature one becomes mature as they are taught by the veterans. But if you're telling them to slow down, shut up, and not move, you're not going to engage in what they're doing. It's going to stunt their growth, and you're going to retain your offense. And the reality, I was talking with Billy the other night. Uh, we were talking about one of these things, and he reminded me of something I, I didn't remember. Rick Joyner, which many of you guys know, um, Rick Joyner has um, been around forever. Um, you know, the founder of, of Morningstar. And, and goodness, I think the Morningstar came on back in the late 80s. Does that sound right? Mid to late 80s, Mom, when you started getting it? And I'm not saying that's true. It started when we started receiving it, just in case anybody was curious. Whenever we signed up is when it started happening. Uh, no, I, it's, I know it's been around at least that long is what I'm implying. Um, and so as we, uh, as we were talking about this, he said, you know, I'm reminded that one of the ways that Rick Joyner would oftentimes end the services is he would say, Father, I pray over these people that you would give them dreams and that you would give them visions and that you would give them words. And if their motivations are wrong, change their motivations, but don't hold back on the dreams, visions, and prophetic words in the process. We've been, I, me, I'm not going to talk like the king of England. I have been for years in the mindset that if somebody's motivations are wrong, then they shouldn't be getting that stuff until their motivations get changed. That's not right thinking. Don't um, not allow. You don't tell somebody to stand on the side of the pool until they can learn to swim. You put you get them in the water, knowing that they're not going to be able to swim until they can learn to swim. I mean, that's just the reality. There's risk that is that is associated every single time. And what Rick Joyner understood in that phrase is. Father, give these people all these things, and there's going to be people here whose motivations are wrong. There's going to be people here who are trying to hold on to their own rights. There's going to be people here who have iniquities, but don't hold back on the gifts just because they're messed up. Fix what's messed up on them as you give them the gifts, because the gift comes from the hand of the giver, and when you get close enough in proximity, you can't help but see your motivations change. It's like we talked a couple weeks ago. What is it? What does Jesus say? How is it we're pruned? You become fruitful, and then he prunes you. He doesn't hold back the function and the fruitfulness until you get pruned. So how do we how do we empower people to do it? Anyway, none of that's on the notes. Just breathe. 
us have told us that uh, we should use horizontal measuring rods for success. God is now introducing, and what I mean by that is horizontal measuring We need to go further. We think about our walk with Him in this horizontal kind of lateral way. I'm going, here's the pathway. What He's actually again teaching us is that God is uh, desires for us to operate in a vertical measuring rod. It's this way. You will never go this way until you go this way. Altitude change will always be more expensive than horizontal change. A vertical change will always bring you an altitude change, which is always going to be more expensive than horizontal change. Why do I use the word expensive? Because horizontal change will never affect your breathing. Only altitude affects your breathing. It changes your breathing and it changes your perspective. There are so many times. Why does he say lift up your heads and see that the fields are white for harvest? Because it's about perspective. And so many times we have that thing where we we do this and we, we I, I think the way I made the note is that, that religion tells us to keep running and running and running and that heaven is the finish line. And we have this heaven destination finish line mentality as if it's a horizontal or lateral race. And in reality, we're supposed to go this way until we get high enough to bring down what's there. He is inviting us into a fresh understanding regarding what it means to seek first the kingdom and his righteousness. In times past, I have viewed this as a priority list. This is going to be the main, one of the main points of the message. So if you if you wondered if we transitioned, we turned the corner. So the, we've turned the corner from me rambling to actually now having a point. So uh, so when you look at what it means to seek first the kingdom, so I have always, always, always thought about this as a priority list of sorts. So the way I have viewed this has always been as if I'm writing on a list my priorities and I've got the kingdom of God and then I've got my family and then I've got my job and then I've got my, you know, whatever else is on your list, right? So if I seek him first, then, you know, all this other stuff is going to be in the right priority list. In fact, you've probably been taught to know that. I've always been taught that if I make sure that God is first, all the other priorities will be in line. Does that sound similar? Here's the challenge with that. In the context, Jesus never mentions any other priorities. In fact, when he says, seek ye first the kingdom of God, what he's actually saying is, nothing else is worthy to be involved in the same category as seeking the kingdom. Nothing else is a priority too. Because the only priority is seeking first the kingdom of God. Let me explain where I'm going. Nothing else belongs in the same category as the kingdom. Because the literal definition of the kingdom, the word kingdom, is king's domain. That's what the word kingdom means. King's domain. So the most basic definition of the kingdom is the place where the king is most basic definition, I mean, I, I really thought, like, I'm sitting there today, and me and Sadie, and we're talking, and thinking, okay, what is like the most elementary definition of the kingdom? That's about as basic as I can get it. The place where the king is. So, think about it this way. It is impossible for us to say that God is all around us, and then not believe that the kingdom is all around us. It's not my job to make sure I love God more than I love my wife. I, I don't know about you, but I've struggled. I, I'm just being totally real here. I've really struggled with some of this stuff. Because there are days that, and I feel like, there's days that I, I always love lunch. Yeah, I always love lunch. But there are days that I love her. It feels like I'm more aware of my love for her. Does that make sense? It's not like I do love her more those days. It's just I'm more aware of my love. And on, I, I have actually, this is, this is me being totally transparent here, 
those days oftentimes ended those days in repentance. Because my feeling has been that because my love for her, I was more aware of that than maybe I normally was. Father, if that love for her at any point superseded the priority of my love for you today, please forgive me. So it becomes this internal wrestling match. It's like a mom with her kids. I mean, seriously, you want to you see um, um, somebody like flip out, mess with somebody's kid. And yet what, what then we try to tell them is, well, the only way you can really love your kids is by loving God. Does that imply that everybody that doesn't love God doesn't love their kids?
and he actually has dominion in everything that I am. And at that point, I can love my wife well and do so with the invitation of his presence into that situation. into the place that I work. And then it's not about me juggling how much time. It's about the priority of who I am. And what happens is that as we do that, we actually begin to see the dominion of God in every area of who we are. And it begins to be, it just flows out of that. It doesn't flow down to the other things. Everything is viewed through that lens. The first message of the kingdom of God was given by John. He act, he said, and Jesus carried this message. Well, he said, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. The word repent, we know that we, we said that, that means to turn from sin. The literal definition of the word repent means to change the way you think. That's actually the literal definition of the word repent. It actually, believe it or not, this is probably going to mess with some people. The word repent, there is no connotation of wrongdoing or sinful action. I know that probably messes with us because the way we we, we view a res- restoration, or if you can say an apology, and I know that's not really the right term theologically, but but in regards to wrong action, is to repent, to have a repentant heart. It means that we walk around all day telling God we're sorry. That's what I've done. I, I genuinely think there are some days that my repent, my repent got like into triple digits. And it was, it was probably, it was actually, I remember actually praying repentance prayers where I have repented for maybe not repenting well. It was like I was double-fisting repentance at that moment. I'll take a repentance with a side of repentance, please. That's just how I, because I was so concerned, because I was taught, once again, I was a Jimmy Swagger boy. If I pull out of that, pull out of the driveway and I've, I've kicked the dog or lost my temper and I get sideswiped by a semi, I'm going to split hell wide open. That's what I was taught growing up. So repentance was the, was the thing that I clung on to with fingernails to make sure I got into heaven when I died. When in reality, how could Jesus look at people who had lived and observed every single aspect of the law and say, you have to repent? They had done nothing They had done nothing wrong, or they had followed the law to cover any or to absolve any sins they did have. Because it means to change the way you think. This is how we as individuals keep having to change the way we think, change the way you 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 think, to where we can have the mind of Christ. Actually, there is no concept closer to having the mind of Christ than repentance. Because it's the changing of the way you think. He actually wants to bring us to a point, uh, Bill Johnson, I think, is the one that I heard say this first, where the supernatural seems logical. That's the mind of Christ. Where the supernatural is the most logical reaction. And so change the way you think is not change the mistake you've made. It's change the way you view, change the perspective. So when the word here is uh, change, and he says change the way you think, and repent for the kingdom of God is at hand, Actually, what Jesus is saying is, if you, uh, excuse me, what he's actually saying is change the way you think because I have brought my world with me and want you to inherit it. Repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. The other thing that's interesting is, when it says it's at hand, what what he's literally saying is it's always within reach. This is probably going to mess with at least If we always view heaven as, a, as an afterlife reward and never 
present reality that is within my reach now, it will only ever be an afterlife reward. But what he intends for us to do, and what the message he brought, do you realize more than the message of, of change, you know, your, your sinful ways, he brought the message of change the way you think, because the atmosphere and presence of my Father, which is the atmosphere of heaven, is just, it is this close. It's never out of reach. It's almost like if you can imagine in the spirit that there's just all around you this veil, this really thin veil. All you have to do is just go like this, and you're you're then touching that atmosphere of heaven. That's what it's like. That's what he was telling them. It was not saying, because we think about at hand meaning it's close. It's at hand. It's right around the corner. Be here any minute. It's like Jimmy John. It's freaky fast. Be here really quick. That's not what he's talking about. What he's saying is change the way you think because I've brought the atmosphere that I've come from with me. And I want you to know that it's never out of reach for you. So, there's always some kind of demonstration then of power connected to the message of the kingdom. Whether it was healing, deliverance, um, or people in honor and silence of who God was, there was always power directly connected with the message of the kingdom. Why? Why would that be? Because the idea of the message is always supposed to be in it. Any message that doesn't invite you into an encounter is purely for education. Any message that doesn't invite us into an encounter of what that message is about is nothing more than education. And we've got the most educated believers who have ever walked the face of the planet. And we actually probably have more unbelieving believers than have ever walked the face of the planet. What I'm amazed that I've been running into more than ever, because you really do, you have that. You have unbelieving believers. You have believing believers. My favorite people are believing unbelievers. I've actually started to encounter these people more and more. Believing unbelievers. They're my favorite people to pray for. Why? Because I don't have to get through the religion that said that God can't do that anymore. If I tell them God wants to heal them and that He's good and His mercy is for them, they just go, okay. It's the coolest thing ever. The only reason that they would think that He's not is because we've told them that He's not. The only reason that we they would think that He's not good is because we've told them that He's not good. It's the reason that it concerns me greatly that one of the largest uh, outreaches of, of churches these days is to the unchurched. What I want to say is please don't mess with them. We don't need them to be churched. Please leave them alone. They're better now than they will be after you church them. And so what Jesus does is he always then provides us for an atmosphere where we can then be invited into hunger because hunger coupled with humility is always the perfect breeding ground for an encounter with heaven. Hunger and humility always precede the way for visitation. But what the enemy tries to do is he tries to cause hunger to then be followed by frustration. Frustration is something that comes as a result of it not happening quickly enough or it not happening like we would think it should happen or um, um, you know, the price being too high or whatever, all of those things. In my opinion, this is not part of the message, but this is something that really pertains to some of the emotional stuff we've been talking about. That we have to be very careful because in the midst of this, I really do believe that what he wants us to do is to learn to navigate well these two things, loss and disappointment. The difference between us being a believer and us being a son or us being somebody who's a steward 
this part is the ability to navigate loss and disappointment. Because those two things will stop us. And loss and disappointment can come in so many different ways. Disappointment can just be flat out, God, you're taken from me. And we can be like desperately hungry. And then it, 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 it that thing be spurred. But what I've actually seen is, 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 is measures where people then are met with loss and disappointment and God is trying to bring them what it is he said at the right hand he was going to bring and in the face of that they don't even see it, don't get it and don't embrace it because what's happened is we have turned God into our servant rather than us into his. Anytime we try to tie God to a timeline that makes sense to us, we have turned him into our servant and anytime we view God as our servant, it will be met with frustration. If you view God as your servant, you will always be frustrated. If you view him, uh, uh, us as his, you will always be met with misgiving. It's just the way it is. And and I genuinely think that he's trying to take us emotionally. Because the reality, I wish that I could just be like, nobody's going to criticize me ever again. Let's just draw a line. That's it. No more criticism. It's like declaring bankruptcy. I declare bankruptcy. I didn't just say it. I declared it. You know? It's, 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 but the reality is we're, you know, we're, we're standing there and we've heard what the Lord has said, but then it's not happening. And, and this whole thing of seek ye first and we're going, well, God, I'm trying to focus on you, but it's not really working. And then all of a sudden we start getting frustrated and we're Worlds are colliding. George is getting upset. You know? We go full on into that. And we lose sight of the fact that what he's saying is at that moment, if you're not in thanksgiving, then you've probably got it wrong. And this is to me. I can genuinely tell you that Sunday, Sunday Monday, was probably the hardest day.
say, I choose um, acceptance and not rejection in my life, to, uh, meaning choose to get it. I can choose, however, how I'm going to process it. And the difference between reigning in life and being a victim of circumstance is how you navigate the loss, disappointment, rejection, shame, all that stuff that comes as a response from being in a position of vulnerability. It really is. So, all right. Um, let's look quickly at, and I've already given you a scripture, most of you know this one. Um, Jesus, when talking about the, um, the disciples, this is Luke 12, he's speaking with the disciples, he says, take no thought for your life. Will you eat? Neither for your body will you put on. For life is more than meat, and the body more than raiment. Consider the heavens, they, they neither sow nor reap, which, excuse me, neither have storehouse nor barn, and God feeds them. How much more are you better than the fowls of the air? And which of you, with taking thought, can add to his stature one cubit? I really think it's interesting as he goes on to talk about don't take any thought what you're going to eat or drink. Don't take any thought for any of the things that are the all of these things. Because what he goes on to say at the end of this in verse 31 is, but rather seek first, or in, in Matthew, in the Matthew verse, it says seek first, and in Luke it just says seek ye the kingdom of God. And all these things will be added unto you. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. That doesn't mean it's your Father's good pleasure to bring you to heaven when you die. It is your Father's good pleasure to demonstrate His presence or the dominion of Him as King around you in all advent of human life. It's His pleasure. That's a pretty wild thought. It's not even saying, like, it's, it's important to Him. It's a priority. It's His pleasure. Maybe that's what Chick-fil-A got it. the best of what I've kind of started doing this is weird for me. Um, but what I've started doing is I started looking at a situation that presents itself, whether in my life or in somebody else's life, and just simply asking myself, what does the kingdom look like in that situation? If you want to know what the enemy looks like, the Bible says he comes to kill, steal, and destroy. So if it looks like death, destruction, it's not God. So when you look at circumstances, then you say, okay, what does what does the atmosphere of heaven, there's no death, loss, or destruction in heaven, why? Because God is the supreme presence, the supreme authority. So then we analyze the circumstance. So when I'm praying for someone, so, um, you know, if there's an instance where somebody is sick and they're talking to me and they say, man, I've just really been struggling with very simple. We don't have to ask ourselves dumb questions like, should I pray for this person? That's the dumbest thing I've ever taught in my life. Please forgive me. It's ridiculous. Now, I'm not always saying you need to pray for them right there. I'm not saying you need to overtly, you know, attack them while they're in their, you know, Zoomer cart at Walmart. You know, climb on their lap while they're trying to scooter away from and, and lay hands on them, you know? Uh, try to jump into the basket, you know? Uh, and, you know, like like E.T. or something, you know? And I'm not saying that at all. But what I am saying is, why have we ever engaged in doctrine that says we have to pray about if God wants somebody to be healed or sick? That's a ridiculous question. What does the kingdom look like? The kingdom always looks like life. 
somebody has financial trouble, and you know that they just repeatedly are in financial challenge. Now, does that mean that there needs, maybe there needs to be education about stewardship? Maybe that they're not giving like they're supposed to. Maybe they don't operate in generosity the way they should. All that stuff may be true, but if, if, if the reality is we, Jesus did not tell the people, the disciples, to get mature before he gave them the greater things will you do. He gave them the greater things will you do. And I genuinely think if I were to pray for somebody that God would bless them and cause them, whatever it is that's causing disruption there, Father, just let the kingdom come to that circumstance. Wouldn't that be an interesting thing that sometimes people would be more inclined to, hey, I want to find out, like, God did this. Then they become engaged. I'm just saying, what if we looked at every circumstance and we just said, what does the kingdom look like now? Because all these things are supposed to be added. Now, the challenge is the church has taught that all these things are where you have to focus. So you've been, we've been taught that they're to focus on money, and we're taught to focus on healing, and we're to focus on, uh, focus on family. Uh, we're to focus on all kinds of stuff. Uh, but the truth of it is, we're to focus on how, what does the kingdom look like in every avenue of who I am. And if that is the focus, then all these things are going to come, and all these things will never be the focus, because everything that happens is in light of what does the kingdom look like. And I promise you, if what does the kingdom look like in my finances is in place, when your finances increase, it's not going to cause you to stumble. Because what's going to happen is, you're going to, the kingdom is going to be in place, so gratitude is going to be a natural response. It's just the way it works. So, last thing I want to read, um, this is Jeremiah 29, 10. This is like one of the coolest verses in all of the Bible. But I feel like that we need to understand this because if we're saying that seek first really does mean that we're to be continuing to see this in all the avenues of who we are, not in the categories and priorities of our life, but that that is the vein, then what's going to happen is we better understand how he thinks about us. Because that way, when circumstances come, I can actually say, what does God think about this? It's just that simple. What does God... Do you realize that when God even defined the, the nature or the attribute of himself that would bring people to repent, he, he, when he said that, he didn't go in... He didn't say, my judgment. He didn't say, my conviction. He said, my goodness brings men to repent. Thus says the Lord, that after seven years of the accomplishment of Babylon, I will visit you. I will perform my good word towards you and cause you to turn to this place. For I know the thoughts I think towards you. Now, here's the thing I have to remind you. I know the thoughts I think towards you. What that actually is saying is, I've always been thinking these thoughts towards you. You have just not been in alignment to receive the thoughts that I've been thinking or the reward of the thoughts I've been thinking about you. You do realize that one of the, the definitions of the nature of God, of how he defines himself, is a rewarder. You have to believe that I am and am a rewarder of those that diligently seek me. I am a rewarder, is what God says. What does that mean? That means that if you're not inheriting a reward, it always has to do with a proximity issue or an alignment issue, it's never because he's thinking bad thoughts. He's not mad at you. It's not that you've messed up and he said, well, I'm over it. <laughs> Giving it up. It's one too many times. He says here, the thoughts I think towards you are thoughts of peace and not evil. To give you an expected end, actually what that word means is to bring to completion everything that I've said you were to do. Then shall you call upon me, and you shall go and pray unto me, and I will hearken unto you, and you will seek me and find me when you search me with your whole heart. Search for me with your whole heart, excuse me. And I will be found of you, says the Lord, turn you away from the captivity and gather you from all the nations and all the places wherein I've driven you, says the Lord, and I will bring you again into the place where I have caused you to be carried away captive. Actually, what that part says that's kind of interesting is he's going to gather the nations, he's going to empower them, and then he's going to send them back into the environments where 
this mean? What's the point? Well, number one, I think the point is it's not, it really is not about just a constant analyzation of where my priorities are. Is God in charge of my money? Is God in charge of my relationship? Is God in charge of my health? Whatever. What it has more to do with is how do we welcome Him into everything we are? And I genuinely believe that He's wanting us, rather than being a people who encounter His presence only together, which is my previous example, but He wants us to be having those. It, we will only, I, I believe, as far as sustainability, Thank you for listening to this message from Harvest House Church. For more information, find us online at harvesthouse.live.